All right, good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome back to another Friday update. I hope everyone has had a great week so far. We've got some pretty interesting stories to to go over this week. So uh, kind of in a geopolitical type of story, we're talking about China and all the COVID protests going on over there. It's really rare to see these types of protests happening in China uh, in response to the absolute zero COVID policies over there. And then we're also going to be talking about Kanye getting banned from Twitter again for praising Hitler, um, which is pretty pretty wild to even say out loud. So we'll get Evan in here. Uh, it looks like Nate joined as well. Nate, I'm not sure if you're still planning on joining, uh, but we'll get those boys in here and we'll get to discussing these stories. Um, to start, this week in tech history, I found a pretty interesting story about uh, the most expensive domain name uh, that was ever sold back in the day, and that was business.com, sold for $7.5 million. Uh, back in 1999, it then turned around and sold again after a business had been built around it for 350 million in 2007. So just a, a wildly valuable domain name in business.com. And then while I'm waiting on Evan to get in here, I do want to shout out, uh, week's Friday update, which is KY innovation. They have done, uh, some fantastic things supporting the startup ecosystem throughout the season. And we're very grateful for their sponsorship. Good morning, Evan. Good morning. How are you? What's going on? I'm good. Looking forward to the retreat this weekend. Yes, sir. About to head out to Moorhead and start getting everything ready to go. Excited to see you guys. All right. Well, we've got two two pretty big stories uh, to be discussing for this Friday update. So let's dive into them. Uh, the first of which is all the protests going on over in China. So I think there's a couple of things to discuss here. Um, I'll give a little bit of an overview just to start, and then we can take it from there. Um, but protests have started popping up all over China, uh, mostly around this COVID zero policy that they have over there. They're seeing some record numbers again, unfortunately, uh, with COVID cases. Um, one of the first reasons for protests was in the Apple factory, uh, as uh, they're essentially forcing quarantine upon the workers there and workers started revolting and protesting that. And then another, another catalyst for some of these protests were a building fire. I'm not going to try and pronounce the city it was in. Uh, but 10 people died in a, in a building fire and the government's being blamed for that because the building was under lockdown and it's being said that many of those victims could not escape because of the lockdowns that were in place. So uh, these protests are going on. It's pretty wild to see protests like this going on in China just because of, uh, you know, the Communist Party and how how strictly controlled they are. So we wanted to cover this from the perspective of Apple, how this affects Apple, but also from the perspective of the surveillance state which I thought was, was pretty interesting. So Evan, um, why don't you kick us off by just going over uh, from the perspective of Apple, what's going on um, in addition to what I just said, and then any thoughts that you have on it and we'll, we'll kick it off. Yep. So this is happening in a Foxconn uh, production plant run by Foxconn. Um, so Foxconn is one of their primary, is their primary iPhone makers as far as their manufacturing goes. Um, and this is really, really damaging their supply chain. They're actually losing a billion dollars um, in iPhone sales a week because they're not making wow. enough. And especially with the holidays coming up, you know, who's, who knows how much money uh, they're going to lose here. Um, so a lot's going on with Apple um, just in general, uh, but this is definitely something that's uh, detrimental uh, to their re revenue in Q4. Uh, so we'll see how they report, but uh, they're actively trying to figure out how to get out of China. Um, a lot of the United States companies are figuring out how to diversify where their manufacturing is, either bring it back to America or places like India. So mm. Apple's really investing in India to get around um, these kind of 
tactics. And I think they're becoming increasingly aware that um, doing business in a state that is communist is uh, not in their best interest. Um, so we'll see what ends up shaking out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the rundown on Apple. And I don't know if you want to talk about, you know, the surveillance. Yeah. Stuff. Well, to, before we move on from that, I just, I think the common theme of what we're seeing here with Apple and, and kind of what's been going on in 2022 in general with the war in Ukraine is the global economy starting to be put under some strain. We're starting to see the effects of having a, a globally connected supply chain. Um, you know, when you think of what's going on in Ukraine, you think of the energy crisis that is kind of impending for the winter in Europe right now. You think of the food exports that were, were cut off from Ukraine for a little while. And now you see what's going on in China. Um, I don't know if I necessarily have a comment on, you know, global supply chains and, and the vulnerabilities of them. But I think we're starting to see those, those sorts of things get shaken a little bit. And I think it's a little bit scary because so much is reliant uh, on this global economy that we've built. So I think it's, I don't know if the solution is bring everything in house. Um, the all in podcast guys kind of talked about this on one of their episodes recently. You know, when you do that or when you try and really, you know, diversify where your, your product is coming from by having different factories in different places, you just increase the cost of producing that, that good. So it's a, it's a tough one, but it's uh it's something to keep following because, you know, so much of our economy is reliant on global supply chains. So I think that's just something worth calling out there. The other thing that is really interesting to watch with these China protests is, is like you said, is this surveillance state. So I follow uh, a reporter on Twitter that does a really good job of just like retweeting stuff that's coming directly out of China. So I want to state that at the top that this is not like verified um, video stuff that I've seen, but uh, I do have some level of trust for, for the source it came from. He had retweeted a video where, China was using, so they have these COVID cards that you scan to get into a building. It'll flash green, it'll flash red, basically telling you your status. If it flashes red, you have to go in quarantine. It's like a forced quarantine, basically. It's just much, much more extreme than what it is here in, in America. And there was a, a thread that was tweeted with that that was basically saying they're able to identify a lot of the people that were at these protests. And as punishment for being in these protests, they're basically red carding them with these COVID cards and then forcing them into a quarantine. Um, I just think that's so crazy to think that that kind of thing can go on in a highly developed society like, like China. I mean, it is communist, but good Lord, that's just some, that's like some black mirror stuff, you know, especially when you take into account some of the social credit score stuff that they're trying to do over there as well. So Evan, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on what you see coming out of China from the perspective of the surveillance state because of the amount of technology that they've put behind surveilling their citizens? Yeah. I mean, it's not good. I think their citizens are not going to put up with it, you know, much longer. I think uh, the way that that works with identifying people and giving them, you know, maybe a red card and making them basically imprisoning them um, is they've got cameras on like every corner of every street yeah. and yeah. in these markets and these cameras have facial recognition. And if you are doing something that the China state identifies as less than desirable, they'll put you on a list and they'll you know, do something with, you know, the, their digital economy or their social credit score. Um, and mm -hmm. in this case, the reason Chinese people are getting so upset about their country is now they're using COVID as just a switch to say, Oh, you're COVID red. You need to go be detained and you're going to stay in this little box 
until we say you can come out. So basically imprisoning people because they have COVID. Um, you know, that's not good for the trust of the healthcare system there. Uh, it's not good for just basic freedoms. Um, and, you know, the conspiracy side of me thinks that, um, you know, China is creating or using COVID to control their citizens. And I don't know if that's conspiracy. I mean, I think it's wide open. I think it's right out there in the open that you can't just mark somebody as having COVID just because you see them in the street. Um, that's something that, you know, is against basic freedoms. So um, I, I think China is going to have, you know, many more problems like this, you know, two years ago, actually when COVID first kicked off um, again, this is conspiracy, but there was 2 million people riding in the speed in the streets of Hong Kong while the state of China was trying to take over Hong Kong. And then here comes COVID and everybody has to go inside. Mm. So you know, it's just really shady. Um, you know, you don't want to believe that a whole state like China caused COVID, uh, a worldwide pandemic, because they're controlling their citizens. But uh, they're doing it now on a small level with these detainment camps and Apple. Uh, it's very clear. Yeah, that's definitely getting into more of the conspiracy realm of things. But I definitely hear what you're what you're saying when you look at all the events kind of laid out in a, in a timeline like that. Um, I th so going back to kind of the social credit score thing, because I think that there's like literally an episode of Black Mirror about that. Um, on the episode of Black Mirror, it's it's literally pretty similar to what's being built in China. Uh, I looked up an, an article on this, and and I do want to state that the social credit score system is not completely rolled out in a unified way in China, but they've been trying to roll it out since 2014. And in the article that I read about it, the way that they're trying to roll that out is essentially if you if you're not a trustworthy person as the Chinese government puts it, or your, your social credit score gets dinged that can prevent you from getting flights that can prevent you from taking advantage of other online services. They can just essentially start cutting you off from internet access and internet speeds, which is just terrifying. I mean, that's like in, in 2022, that's somebody's primary mode of freedom. you you cut off their ability to travel and you cut off their internet, like good Lord. So do you remember, I, do you remember when, um, Alipay, uh, Jack Ma tried to take Alibaba's Alipay to market and IPO it. I remember Jack Ma kind of disappearing here not too long ago. Was yeah, that, so this, in, this all ties in with that. And so essentially Jack Ma created the most popular payment app, you know, in the country. You know, the majority of U.S. or Chinese citizens were using his app um, to buy things and to send payments. So it was just like this super app where people had a lot of their money um, in China. And they're about to go public, you know, as um, I think they're going to go on the, uh, I forget which exchange, I think it was the U.S. Uh, but China stepped in, stopped it, and basically took over the company. And now they're rolling out this credit system and this COVID card system through that app. Mm. Um, so they stepped in uh, and prevented, you know, a company from going public and a founder from continuing to grow his company and then the founder disappeared and then the company is no longer his and, you know, the Chinese government owns it. Um, so th that's something scary. I, if I'm an entrepreneur and well, first of all, if I'm a person, I wouldn't live in China. Uh, but if I'm an entrepreneur, I'd be getting out because I wouldn't want my technology to be used for these purposes. Yeah. Um, I, I assume that's going to continue to happen, but it's also unfortunate because the people in China don't even have an opportunity to know what's going on outside of China because Another big part of what's been going on in the last week is China is preventing the use of VPNs. It's a crime over there to use VPNs. Um, so, you know, if somebody even wanted to 
look at uh, the internet outside of their walled garden in China, uh, they can't. Um, so it, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, scary stuff. All right, well, let's move on to this next story. Um, I can't even believe that this is a story in 2022, especially just with everything else going on. Uh, so Kanye has been banned from Twitter again, this time for going on Info Wars with Alex Jones and essentially praising Hitler. Um, you know, there's, there's not really any way to, other way to say it. He was going on and saying that uh, there's a lot of good things about Hitler, some, some terrible stuff. Um, so the reason we wanted to kind of talk about this is one from the dynamic of being banned from Twitter. Again, there's just so much going on with Twitter um, and the way that, that they handle these sorts of things. Uh, but two, I think Evan, you, you've got some interesting perspectives that you, uh, you threw the story on there for. So I'll let you kind of kick this one off, give your perspective on it, and then let's dive into the meat of the story around what this means on a, on a broader level with Twitter and censorship and everything else like that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I just saw a few videos, you know, I'm not paying much attention to this stuff. I don't think anybody should, I don't know if he, he shouldn't be given a platform to begin with. I mean, it's Alex Jones. So like, you know, yeah. Barely has a platform. Uh, not, not high expectations there, but, um, you know, people have got to start saying that, you know, we've got to give this, you know, person in pain and suffering and, you know, mental illness some time and not give him a platform to say things like this. You know, this is kind of coming out of nowhere. I, I don't, I hope Kanye is not truly anti-Semitic and has been this long and it's just now, you know, coming out. I don't, I don't know. I don't know Kanye, but as a fan of his, this is really unfortunate to see, but he was saying things like, I see good things in Hitler. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler, uh, Nazis. Uh, let's see. Jones replied, the Nazis were thugs. Uh, Ye said, uh, but they did good things too. You all got to stop dissing the Nazis all the time. So, you know, these kind of uh, phrases um, today is inciting, you know, whether it's viewed as inciting violence or it's just hate speech, um, especially given the history of things like the Holocaust. You, know, you just can't um, say this in, in public forum. Now, it is... I don't know what Twitter's policy is on this, honestly. I would assume this falls underneath hate speech, which is why he was taken down. I remember Elon tweeted. He said inciting violence. I don't know what the difference between those two, um, honestly. But I think the, more, the thing that I'm more concerned about is honestly whether he should be taken down or not. Um, it's just that Kanye needs somebody in his life to like do something about this. Like He needs somebody that cares about him to step in. Like, you know, he got banned. I'm fine with that. You know, free speech. I don't know how I feel about everything getting banned. I don't think I would like to lean more towards free speech. But in this case, um, I'm probably I'm definitely OK with this, given that uh, he is saying things that, you know, are inciting violence like this. And it didn't happen on Twitter either. Right. Um, it right. happened That's... on a different show and he brought it onto Twitter and kind of re restated the rhetoric. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's really any room for this in on the internet period to be, to be completely honest. I mean, at least in today's, the way things are today with the, the conversations around racism, the conversations around hate, the conversations around anti-Semitism. I mean, you're right. Kanye needs somebody in his life that can tell him like, what, what are you saying? Why are you going on and saying these things? I don't know. I think this has to be some sort of mental breakdown that he's gone through over the past 
couple of months and this is like the the climax of it essentially but i think i think he essentially this is worthy of being deplatformed until he can get his shit together i mean this is to start saying things about hitler and in today's world is just that crosses a line i feel like and i don't know it's weird to even talk about because i i don't think there are really any permissible times to say what he's saying like i get at a fundamental level sure maybe hitler like i don't know did a favor for somebody and did something good, but that that is unacceptable like i don't i don't think that you can you should be saying that because the atrocities of what happened under hitler was so far to the other side like it doesn't matter yeah and this so is where free speech is just so hard and, th- and this is i think it's an important conversation to have it's a really tough conversation to have it's an uncom- uncomfortable conversation to have because these are the fringes that you get to with with free speech so these are the types of things that you have to take into account like when you and i talk about content moderation and censorship and all of that on social media this is the worst of it like stuff yeah. like this is what you have to consider when you're talking about oh we don't want any moderation on twitter we don't want anything to be taken down well, okay, then stuff like this starts popping up and it makes you rethink it a little bit. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's, I mean, for me, it's like, it's uncomfortable to talk about because it's like, it's so unbelievable to me that somebody would go on an online forum and say something like this in, in 2022. And especially with Kanye, I mean, like he didn't, he didn't start off. Like I just, I don't get where this came from, which to me has to point to some sort of mental illness or, or breakdown that he's going through. So I don't know if you have anything else you want to add to that. Um, I just think it's like one of those things we have to look at. And this is more, this is more of me looking at some of the things I've said about free speech and content moderation. Like, damn, we're operating on the fringes right now. And this is the kind of thing you have to take into, into consideration. Like you can't, you can't speak in absolute terms about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the side of let's, let's deplatform him makes sense. I don't think you want people seeing this. But then there is the other side, which is you do kind of want people seeing this stuff so you can call it out. You know, if there are bad ideas in the world, there's not a problem with those being out there so that you can call those bad ideas out. Now, if it crosses lines of violence and people are getting hurt physically, then I absolutely think you've got to do something. And so I I can see both sides of the argument here. And I just don't know. I can't make a call on which one's stronger. I think the inciting violence thing is tricky, though, because it's like, do you want to wait until the violence is actually incited before you do something about it? Or like, where, where do you draw the line there? Um, I don't know. I think that it it really is so tough. The one thing I do want to make clear is this is, we definitely condemn Kanye for, for blatantly going on and talking about these things and, you know, essentially praising Hitler. It's, it's a pretty wild thing, but I think the conversation we're trying to have here is more so around, you know, we're, we're in such a time where free speech is being, is being debated in our country. Um, and this is one of those fringe cases where, you know, it's, it's worth discussing the implications of speaking in absolute terms. And I feel like I've been guilty of speaking in absolute terms a lot of times. So it's, it's, it's worth calling out and discussing. Um, anything else you want to add to that before we move on to the final things nope. here? I think that's it. Um, we have on here some bubbles that are popping. Uh, so we talked about FTX a lot. Um, you've been talking about ESG increasingly, housing markets uh, going through some going through some stuff right now. App Harvest, um, we talked about last week on on the Friday update. Uh, I'll let you lead this little section here. Um, what's going on? What's why are all these bubbles popping, Evan? 
Yeah, so I've got on Monday uh, an article coming out uh, explaining the whole situation of what's happened with App Harvest. Um, and essentially, there's not a difference between, uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, um, there, there are differences, but in, in many ways, there's not a difference between App Harvest, FTX, and many of the other bubbles popping out in the world. Um, whether it's the housing market, uh, companies like Open Door and the housing market are beginning to crumble. Um, bubbles are popping, and the reason bubbles are popping is we've had 0% interest rates. And when you have 0% interest rates, uh, people lose their minds, um, especially bankers, investment bankers, anybody who, whose job is to return other people money, and all of a sudden you've got 0% interest rates and there's fr basically free capital, free you can get capital for free. You know, you, you could buy a house uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago with a 2.5% interest rate. Uh, money was essentially free in relative to you know, historical context. Um, what ends up happening is people are chasing returns and they get lazy with their due diligence and they get mm. excited about things. Um, the movements like ESG did not help this at all. FTX was heavily uh, influenced by the ESG movement. And essentially, App Harvest was in that same boat where you say the right things to the right people and they'll give you money because they've got a lot of money. And if you start virtue signaling and talking about the things they want to hear, uh, they'll give you money. And that's exactly what happened with FTX. That's exactly what happened with App Harvest. Um, and it's happened across the broader economy. And you're starting to see these bubbles pop. Um, as we were talking about earlier with the you know, global economy, you're starting to see things uh, get to a point where um, things are crumbling, you know, just like in China, um, supply chains around the country, uh, especially here in the United States are getting strained. If you look at the ports, uh, you're not seeing as much traffic in the ports, whereas there used to be lines that lasted several weeks in the ports. Um, so you're seeing, seeing things come back down as interest rates go up, um, but also you're seeing the fallout of what happens when people just send somebody money because they're just a nice person that they like and they don't do any due diligence. Um, so that's what's happening right now. Uh, it all tracks back to zero percentage rates and people just trying to get returns. Um, if you understand you know, macro economics and just how all these things play into each other, I mean, that's, that's the single um, common denominator is zero percentage rates in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, the one thing on ESG that I thought was interesting um, that I thought I can give some more context to it, maybe you can help me remember this it was either a quote or a tweet that I saw, but it was essentially saying, you know, when you're looking on these pitch decks of companies that are heavily tied into the ESG movement, you'll oftentimes see things that sound more like a political campaign rather than solving like an actual business problem. And it's like when, like save the climate, for example, it's like, yeah, we can all easily get behind that. But when you're starting a company and you're saying that that is the goal rather than, Hey, we're going to, you know, save the climate by, helping produce tomatoes in a scalable way. And here's the business model that supports that in App Harvest's case, for example. That's kind of what seems to be happening with the ESG movement is, like you said, you say the right things. It sounds more like a political campaign than it does about pitching a business in a scalable business model. Um, so just to, just to try and put the ESG debacle into, into context, it's just, it's lack of due diligence, like Evan was saying. And it's, it's just derooting you know, capital should be flowing into businesses that have sustainable business models, not just because they're, as you say, saying the right thing and saying that they're going to go out and solve a climate crisis. So it's, 
it's de- it's trying to decouple that capital allocation from putting it into businesses that can actually provide a return and putting it into businesses that are have a a social mission of sorts. Um, and you just you can't separate those two things. Those two things they have to go hand in hand if you want to actually have any real impact in the world. Yeah, uh, f- make sure your mic's not hitting your your collar. Um, yeah, I mean you know I've been digging really really deep into the ESG stuff and it's politicized finance. It's um, it's they're trying to rewrite the rules of what capitalism is. I mean it's a socialist movement um, in my opinion. You know it's it's totally unacceptable looking back, you know, it's only in hindsight, you know, during the ESG movement, I think everybody can get behind, Hey, let's invest in companies that are taking care of the environment and are doing this and doing that. But once you start creating criteria and scoring companies and based on that very subjective criteria that somebody came up with in a boardroom and that decides where money flows, you're talking about a centralized state that is deciding where money flows. And that is socialism. And it's completely unacceptable. And I don't know how uh, the U.S. capital markets ultimately got so strongly behind it, like BlackRock, one of the biggest funds, the biggest funds in the entire world, where everybody in the world, I mean, not everybody in the world, everybody in the United States who has a 401k or has any investments in a mutual fund, it has assets in BlackRock. And they were one of the biggest supporters. And now you see them completely pulling out Mm. after a short period of time. Yep. I don't know what happened. Um, I don't know if just it's the right people got into power at the right time. Uh, we all let our guard down um, and we almost let a foreign entity in the other side of the world rewrite what capitalism looks like in America. And we welcomed it. And looking back, I think uh, we're going to be talking about this a lot more. I think this is only the beginning of this conversation. And I think Apparis and Nikola and some of these other companies, especially FTX, um, are just the beginnings of this conversation where people are waking up to understanding that we were attacked financially um, as a country by a foreign entity and we let it happen. That You're saying with ESG? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. This was an attack on American capitalism. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see that perspective looking back on it. I think there's going to be a lot more that continues to come out about it just because, so, like you said, so many bubbles are popping, uh, you know, things that things are kind of hitting the fan. Uh, from those zero percent interest rates, and we're seeing yeah, a lot of this come I mean, out. Yeah, we let our guard down. There was zero percent interest rates. Um, the world was in chaos. You know, we wanted people wanted to virtue signal because the world was in chaos, and we we let our guard down and let you know the environmental movement. Which, by the way, I want to support the environment. I don't want emissions. I don't want water to go away. But you you just can't allocate capital based on those things because we don't know when water is going away. You know, we don't know when. Uh, the world's going to end. You can't just allocate capital based on those things. Well, you can't allocate capital on them because, you know, if you're, if you don't create a sustainable model that, you know, can sustain itself, eventually you're just, you're going to run it into the ground. You're not going to, yeah, you're not going to complete the mission. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's Um, why I look, look, if you look at SpaceX, like Elon is not building a Mars, like the first rocket Elon built to save humanity and get us to Mars, you know, save humanity and get us to Mars. He didn't, his first rocket wasn't the one that was going to get us to Mars. His first rocket was a, one that landed itself so he can take, you know, one one hundredth of the cargo that he would want to take to Mars to orbit so he could take satellites there. And so he started with a good business model. And then ultimately, that's going to allow him to 
accomplish his vision and mission of saving, you know, humanity from extinction by getting us to Mars, which sounds crazy, but that's how you do it. You build a business model in order to reach the ultimate vision. And what you saw was people just trying to build the vision because yeah. there was money laying out there uh, yep. with the ESG movement. And that's exactly what happened with App Harvest. That's a good way to summarize it. Um, well, okay. Go ahead and take that on to just summarize the episode that's coming out on Monday because you broke down what, what came out about App Harvest in that recent article uh, that we talked about last week on our Friday update. Yeah. Uh, I mean, App Harvest was the perfect storm of, again, 0% interest rates, um, the ESG movement, and SPACs. Uh, so those three things popped up into existence at the perfect time for Jonathan Webb to build, um, or rather, raise um, a lot of money. And when a founder raises that much money that quickly, uh, and it's their first time building a company, like you've got to expect mistakes. And very powerful investment bankers who are professional, uh, my mom said this, and I really like this term, pirates, where they come into a company and they do what they want with it. Uh, they take board seats, they get control, they put their own people in place, uh, and then they basically destroy the company and extract value. Um, it's called activist investing. A, a guy named Jeffrey Ubbin did it. Um, totally took advantage of the company, and, and, and now it's, it's going to run out of money, and they're going to have to sell, or they're going to have to go into bankruptcy. Um, so it all just tracks back again to 0% interest rates. And um, hopefully, you know, Jonathan Webb and that leadership team was not you know, in cahoots with the whole situation. Um, I don't believe they were. Um, but that company was essentially taken over and run into the ground um, and taken advantage of. Uh, yeah. so, so I'll break down every little detail about how that happened and what it means uh, for the state of Kentucky and App Harvest and you know, how we can all, again, uh, learn from this situation. And you also brought in um, somebody else that's in the industry and has a lot of knowledge about ag tech uh, to kind of supplement that. So Adam Van Wingerden, who we've had on the podcast before with, uh, with Silver Fern uh, came and talk through all that with you. So that should be a great episode coming out on yeah. Monday. Weekend thoughts. We've got uh, an episode coming out tomorrow from our very own Danny Perry about creative coding. Um, and other than that, that should set, get us all set to get through another week. So I hope everyone has a great weekend. Great conversation today. See you guys next week. See y'all.